Welcome to Notice History, the podcast where we uncover the history all around us. As always, we're your hosts, Robin Mullins and Keely McCavitt. This week, we are once again joined by No History Senior Associate and Saskatoon native, Alice Glaze. Welcome, Alice. Thank you for having me. We're so glad to have you back. Before we get into the next segment of our road trip series, what kind of vehicle would you be road tripping in for your ideal road trip? Well, okay, so... I used road trip so many times there. It was a contest against myself, and I won. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So just to, like, specify the rules of this, does it have to be, like, on the road? Or do, are we talking about just, like, a trip? Like, a no, journey? No, this is a road trip series, Keely. Okay, but I just, like, so I can't, I said, I can't go crazy. It can't no. be, like, water world. I also like, said I can't road be, trip. Like, boats only. I said road trip, like, 15 times in my intro, so it's gotta mm-hmm. be for the road. I, got, I had to try. <sighs> I would have picked a boat, but... Um, oh, would it be like one of those like those, those bus boats that's like a oh, land? Because that, oh, that counts. That's a loophole. I want a bus boat <laughs> so then I can go in the water for most of the trip, but I will be on the road for part of it. Te- technically, you can still do a road trip. Perfect. I bet like the, the fuel in that, like the cost would be like ridiculous. So somehow it would have to be green. What about you, Alice? <laughs> well, I've never been in a camper van or an RV um, we had a station wagon when I was growing up and we drove across all of Canada in a station wagon. Um, so not that. Fair I've done, enough. Done that. <laughs> so take that on the list. Station wagons, surprisingly small when you're with your whole family. <laughs> you don't say. But I've always kind of looked at those retro uh, camper vans or the like the trailer attachment ones um, the kind of retro 1950s ones and I'm like I feel like probably they've been improved on but I don't see how they could be they, they seem pretty cool I'm going to have to jump on your bandwagon uh, truly um, because I agree the the VW I think they're called I know they're called Westphalias because I did a road trip in Hawaii this past winter as my baby moon before Little Nugget showed up, and um, we did not have a Westphalia because they're super old, and they break down all the time, so they weren't practical, but I saw lots of other people in them, and they were really picturesque, and they looked awesome, and they were a lot less cramped than the Honda Element that had been retrofitted as a camper van that we ended up with, so Westphalias, for sure. So now that we've all picked our ideal kind of mode of transportation in our mind's eye, and we hopefully you, the listener, have also imagined your preferred mode of transportation, we can all get into there and get ready for this episode. Because who doesn't love summer? It's a time for barbecues, hiking, berry picking, and of course, the road trip. The reason we're all here. So this summer, we're traveling on a cross-country virtual road trip, exploring some of Canada's regional history. On our last episode, we discussed some of Canada's more northern historical places in the territories, and it's time for the next portion of our adventure. So it's time to buckle up, grab your favorite snacks, and consider packing a raincoat, because today our virtual road trip is heading to western Canada with a very chatty baby. Starting off our road trip this week, we're going to be in beautiful British Columbia, starting in Haida Gwaii. Haida Gwaii is an archipelago of islands off the northwestern coast of British Columbia. Haida Gwaii means islands of the people in Haida. 
While Aboriginal people have lived on the islands for at least 6,000 to 8,000 years, based on archaeological evidence, James Cook was the first European to visit the islands in 1778. He named them the Queen Charlotte Islands. The name reverted to Haida Gwaii in 2010. Haida Gwaii's natural habitat is very unique due to the fact that the archipelago is between 48 to 140 kilometers off the mainland islands. Some species found there are unique to the islands because of its isolation from the others. It's kind of like Canada's Galapagos Islands. Ooh, Ooh I like that. Guayahanas National Park Reserve was created in 1993 and the National Marine Conservation Area Reserve was created in 2010. In addition to being biologically unique, Haida Gwaii is also famous for its totem poles, whether in historic photos, contemporary photos of the poles slowly returning to the earth, or Emily Carr's many paintings of the poles and the islands. The island Skangawai became a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 1981. UNESCO says, and quote, the site commemorates the living culture of the Haida people and their relationship to the land and sea, and offers a visual key to their oral history." End quote. This island contains the village of Nonsdens, which has the remains of cedar longhouses and totem poles. The community was once inhabited by more than 300 people, but by the 1880s, disease destroyed the population. Between the 1930s and the 1950s, 15 poles were moved into museums. For going on three decades, the Haida have undertaken many successful efforts to repatriate ancestral remains from museums around the world. For a deeper dive, check out Kara Krumpotich, a professor of museum studies at the University of Toronto, and her book, The Force of Family, Repatriation, Kinship, and Memory on Haida Gwaii. And if repatriation is something that interests you, we've also done an episode on that, led by some of the research that Keeley has done. Yes. Um, and we also discussed Black Panther. So there's a lot of really good reasons to listen to it. There are. It's, it's great. It's, it's very informative, but also Black Panther. If you're interested in visiting Haida Gwaii, there are many different things you can do at uh, Guayhanas National Park Reserve. Uh, the official Parks Canada website notes the following activities. Hiking, kayaking, bird and marine mammal watching, visiting the ancient Haida village of Skang Gwaii, fishing, and various licensed tours around the area. We are going to be headed to Dinosaur Provincial Park in Alberta! Dinosaur Provincial Park was established as a protected provincial park in 1955 and a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 1979, and it's over 7,500 hectares or 75 square kilometers in size. So Dinosaur Provincial Park is located in Alberta's Badlands. Uh, if you don't know what Badlands are, uh, they are steep, barren land, usually broken by narrow channels and sharp crest ridges that result from rapid erosion, often of unconsolidated sediments, which doesn't sound that cool, but it's so cool. You should Google image search hoodoos, H-O-O-D-O-O, and you'll see what I'm talking about. No, I've never, I've never been there, and I have seen photos, and I just think it would be so cool to it go is, see. It's gorgeous. It's like what Mars would look like if Mars was gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful Mars. Yeah, gotta go. <laughs> It's like if Mars was like a Western. <laughs> Another thing um, that the Badlands have over Mars is that 60 species of dinosaurs have been found there. We don't know that Mars doesn't have 60 species of dinosaurs. I didn't say there weren't. I just say that have been found. That's true. Yeah. Fair enough. Thousands of specimens have been removed from Dinosaur Provincial Park for study and exhibition at museums around the world. This activity was especially robust between 1979 and 1991, when paleontologists collected a total of 23,347 fossil specimens, including 300 dinosaurs from 35 species. So that's a lot of dinosaurs. 
And I'm just going to take this opportunity to shoehorn a Heritage Minute into this. Yes. Do it. <laughs> There's definitely one. I don't actually know now that I'm starting saying this, whether mm-hmm. it's about Dinosaur Provincial Park specifically, but there's definitely one about the bad lines and finding dinosaurs. Nice. That's all I had to say. Yeah. <laughs> you got it in. <laughs> <laughs> that Heritage Minute actually does reference <gasps> the fact that the Pakani peoples have known for a very long time about these bone beds specifically. And that they had shown fossils to the Jesuit priest Jean-Baptiste Leroux in 1871. In what is probably the first historical record of these fossils, Leroux wrote an unpublished account of the bones that he said the Pecani referred to as coming from the grandfather of the buffalo. That's the line that I remember from the Heritage Minute. Yes. Yeah. Early Anglo settlers to the area um, were not as pleased as I am about the Badlands. They complained that the terrain was, quote, hell with the fires put out, end quote. Yeah. (laughs) Shots fired. Yeah. Speaking of shots fired, there were many cowboys. Oh. (laughs) Who resided in the area. Um, There were quite a few kind of rugged homesteaders who tried to eke out a living in in the Badlands, in the harsh terrain. Um, And if you're ever in the Badlands, either near Dinosaur Provincial Park or a bit further north, closer to to Drumheller, you can see some of those um, heritage sites as well. Uh, So there was one cowboy named John Ware, who was an African-Canadian cowboy and a superb horseman. And he lived in the area. He built a short-lived ranch in the Badlands, and he eventually left the area but um, he, he added to the reputation of the region as being no good for farming or ranching. His L-shaped cabin is preserved in Dinosaur Provincial Park near the visitor center and is open for tourists. An old gravel road running from Brooks to the park follows what is known as the John Ware Trail. More specifically to the Dinosaur Provincial Park area of Alberta, one of the first written descriptive accounts of the region came from the Palliser expedition that passed through in 1859. Alberta's dinosaurs are well represented across the world. The American Museum of Natural History displays more dinosaurs from Alberta than any other museum in the world. And Canadian museums display finds from Dinosaur Provincial Park, which include the Royal Ontario Museum, the Museum of Nature here in Ottawa, and the Red Path Museum in Montreal. The site of Dinosaur Provincial Park has a visitor center with a small exhibition space, theater, guided interpretive tours of the park, several short walking trails, Camping and comfort camping, also known as glamping. Also known as where I'll be next Ooh. week. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, I'll let you know how it goes. There's like a fridge in there. Nice. There's a queen size bed with bedding. Yeah, it's pretty great. Does it come with its own dinosaur though? No, but it's right by the river. Okay, fair, fair, fair. Aside from all of those things, the park also offers opportunities for university students in paleontology to experience an excavation, which is my childhood dream. Yes. For those of you who are really into dinosaurs, um, Dinosaur Provincial Park definitely has the bones, but Royal Tyrell Museum in Drumheller also is fantastic as a museum for the the dinosaur exhibits because the Dinosaur Provincial Park is just the bones in situ or the landscape where you can find the bones. But uh, the Tyrell Museum is fantastic. I went there as a three-year-old and we had to spend three days there. My parents were not expecting that, (laughs) but I basically threw a tantrum, I think. (laughs) We were supposed to spend one day and then the next day I was like, no, we're going back. (laughs) I need more. (laughs) Yeah. And then I went back as an adult and I was like, yeah, still, still as great as I remembered. (laughs) So I recommend that. So as we roll our way out of Alberta, some honorable mention shout-outs to other amazing places that you should stop at if you're ever in the area. Cypress Hills, between Alberta and Saskatchewan. 
was never covered by glaciers during the Ice Age. The park contains a mix of montane forests, grasslands, and wetlands. The area has opportunities for camping, hiking, horseback riding. It also has a visitor site, which highlights the archaeological work in the area, which has revealed more than 8,500 years of humans living in the hills. There's also the Living History Museum of Fort Walsh, which shows the history of the Northwest Mounted Police guarding the Canadian frontier in the 1880s. And let's not forget Head Smashed in Buffalo Jump in Alberta, a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Head Smashed in Buffalo Jump is an archaeological and interpretive site in southwestern Alberta that displays the Aboriginal people's hunting technique of corralling buffalo and driving them over a sheer cliff face. Through the display and interpretation of the items found during the archaeological digs, this historic way of life on the plains is shown. It's pretty cool. I've been there before. Oh. Um, the museum itself is very interesting, and the site, like the location, is just gorgeous. Nice. So, a worthy shout out indeed. I've never been there. I've always wanted to go. I've been to Wanuskewin, which is a buffalo jump, like a, uh, it's a natural historic site, and it has a buffalo jump that's near Saskatoon, but I've always wanted to go to Head Smashed In. Mm. And speaking of Saskatchewan, we're now heading to the best province of the Western provinces. That's right, I said it. Saskatchewan. <laughs> I feel like that's not, like, if you had said the best province, just like bar none, that would have been a bit more controversial, but you're just like, <laughs> I just want to beat out Manitoba. <laughs> I think I think he can do that. I don't know. I feel like the uh, other producer of this podcast might have issues with yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. Emily Kagi, we're looking at you. Yeah. But, I mean, Manitoba, home of the mosquitoes. It's true. They are very friendly there. Their license plate is accurate. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. They've got that. They've got the friendliness. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to Fort Battleford, Saskatchewan, um, a place that, embarrassingly, I've never been to. But, uh, get out <laughs> get out now it sounds amazing <laughs> this site is located in uh, northwest of Saskatoon in the town of Battleford uh, and the shocker f- I know. <laughs> we're very literal in our naming conventions Saskatoon named after the berry <laughs> not the other way around no very much not fair enough yeah they're like this is where we harvest the berries perfect like cool (laughs) cordon it off yeah uh the fort was established in 1876 and there are five northwest mounted police buildings at the site which can still be toured today while historically significant fort battleford has been home for various controversial negotiations in order to represent these various histories, the site has utilized historical reenactment for the historical event of the Siege of Fort Battleford. Volunteers dressed up to further enrich this enactment, and the actress' stories are directly drawn from the diaries, memoirs, correspondence, and journals of people who were present at that time. However, if reenactment isn't up your alley, they also have self-guided audio tours that you can use. Some important shout-outs before we continue. It may be a backtrack to Alberta, but it is also a fort, so I think it is fair for me to bring it up. We'll allow it. We'll allow it. Fort Edmonton is a series of trading posts of the Hudson's Bay Company from 1795 to 1891, all of which were located in central Alberta, Canada. Now the fort is part of a park which is a series of living history sites. The fort features different streets from different time periods. There's one in 1846, 1885, 1905, and a 1920. So we're, we're covering a swath of time cool. in streets. <laughs> Another shout out is uh, Lower Fort Gary in Manitoba. Uh, Lower Fort Gary was home to the Hudson's Bay Company and was a hub for First Nations trappers and traders. It was the site where the first number t- treaty was signed, Treaty Number 1. 
Uh, and the site is now focused on costume interpretation to share the story of the signing of this treaty between the Swampy Cree, Ojibwe, and the Crown. I have not been to Lower Fort Gary, but I have been to its poor cousin, Fort Gibraltar. I don't know if that's fair to say. <laughs> Fort Gibraltar was great. I'm, I just have never been to Lower Fort Gary. They're both in the Winnipeg area. <laughs> you have to duke it out. You're going to have to go, and then we're just going to have to make a decision. Forest rank. The last stop on our road trip today is Manitoba, which is our neighbor, and I've never been there. Oh, really? Yeah, it's Me our neither. provincial neighbor, and I've never been to Manitoba. Same. It's so far away. You have to drive so far to get there. <laughs> like, it seems close, but then you actually think about it, and then it's, yeah, it's very unless, far. Unless you take, a, like, a shortcut through the states. Right. Yeah. Ontario, why are you such a beast? You go through Minnesota, go yeah. to Duluth. <laughs> I've been to Manitoba many times, and despite my smack talk earlier, it is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> it's delightful. I have many close friends there. I love Manitoba. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah. We're going to be stopping in at Real House and checking out some vital statistics about this house that is located in historic St. Vital Parish in Winnipeg, Manitoba. It would have been a missed opportunity. <laughs> it would have been. I mean, Vidal and Vital don't sound the same, but they are spelled the same. <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. <laughs> it's okay. You both groaned. It's fine. <laughs> so Riel House was the home of the Riel family. It is currently a living history site, which tells the story of the 1885 Northwest Resistance. Just to be clear, by real family, we do mean Louis Riel. Like capital. Yeah, like, like, like real the... days in Manitoba. Yeah, okay, got yeah. it. <laughs> I have been to uh, Louis Riel's gravesite, but I've never actually been to Riel House. I would like to go there. The interpretation of the site is based on the time period six months after the execution of Louis Riel in 1886. The story is one of a family mourning and the larger effects of his death throughout the Métis community. I think that's a really interesting time period to pick for the interpretation because typically when you go to a house, it's about the life of the most famous person who lived there and this is what they would do every day. But focusing on that specific period of time when that person is no longer there afterwards, I think that's really cool. It's a really yeah. neat way to explore that. It also focuses on the life and struggles of Louis Riel with a focus on his role in advocating and fighting for Métis rights. The house currently offers school tours and interpretive programming funded through the Manitoba Métis Federation. The house was opened to the public in 1980 by Parks Canada after 10 years of research and restoration. Very cool. Yeah. We'll wrap up today's episode with some more shout-outs. Shout-out number one! Woo! The Ukrainian Village, which is also in Alberta. The Ukrainian Village is a living history museum. It uses interpreters who are in costume to tell the story of the Ukrainian communities which settled in Alberta until 1930. More than 40 buildings have been moved to the villages since it opened in the 1970s and have been researched, restored, and furnished. That's very cool. Yeah, I think that'd be really cool. And hopefully pierogies are at hand. Uh, very likely. Yeah, the best food of all time. Yes. <laughs> Another shout out is to the Theatre Cercle Molière in Manitoba. Um, it's the oldest French theatre company in Canada, and it's been in continuous operation since 1925. Its aim is to promote French language theatre in Manitoba, which is uh, pretty cool. And yes. I would like to add a third shout out. Uh, if you really love a good streetscape, you gotta check out the Western Development Museum in Saskatoon, which has an epic uh, 1910 boomtown Saskatoon streetscape with a jail. Ooh. <laughs> that sounds really... I also, I like the phrase boomtown, and I feel like they should have merch. Yes. 
They, Do they have merch? They might. They have um, some, they, they just came out with like an app in the last couple of years that I think is like an escape room-esque like trivia app that you can use at the museum. And I, I feel like that was like a moment when they were picking up on what the people need. Yeah. So I feel like now they might have merch too. Like, Sweet. Yeah. An additional honorable mention that I cannot let pass by as we drive by all of these beautiful Western provinces is of course the corner gas set, which tragically we can no longer visit because someone didn't think it was historically important, crazy people, um, which used to be in Rulo, Saskatchewan and was unfortunately dismantled once the movie had already been filmed. So you can't actually go there, but it's there in our hearts. And I feel like we should all just still try, you know, like just, just think about it. Reflect on the beauty that was Corner Gas. And if you wanted to see the inspiration for Corner Gas, you can go to Tisdale, Saskatchewan, where my grandparents lived, <laughs> and where Brent Butt, more importantly, also lived as a teenager. Very nice. Because Corner Gas taught me important things about Saskatchewan, like the difference between prairie dogs and gophers, and how that's actually a very heated debate, apparently. Weirdly, yes. Yes. And yet, there is a gopher museum, yeah. not a prairie dog. I'm just, I'm all, I'm so, I'm so interested in this. Well, that's actually in Alberta, so I wash my hands of that. Okay, fair enough. And it looks very interesting. We will be posting pictures of the gopher museum because it's like someone taxidermied amazing gophers in hilarious outfits, and it's all I ever want. It is simultaneously whimsical, macabre, devastating, hilarious, and confusing. My favorite diorama of the taxidermy gophers, which is what you're going to go see if you go, by the way, is of one getting its hair cut by another one in a <gasps> hair shop, and the speech bubble says, I'm a beautician, not a magician, and I crack up every time I see it. I so love it. You should go. You will experience every emotion known to man <laughs> on this amazing journey <laughs> at the gopher museum. What is, Keely, can you tell us the name of the actual gopher museum? Yes, I can, Robin. It is called the Torrington Gopher Hole Museum. And it is a treasure. So don't forget to hit that up on your road trip. Or just go on their website. Or, or do both. Being somebody who has traveled very little in Western Canada, this road trip that we've gone on today has given me a lot to think about and a lot of different places to go the next time mm-hmm. I go on vacation. Yeah. So. And, I mean, road trips are amazing and are also the theme of this, but uh, train trips are Ooh. also an option. Uh, take out the driving, put in the chilling, and also the very flexible start and end times because via rail often ends, like gets through Saskatoon about four hours late. But if you're chill, then it's a great way to see the country. I've done that from, at least from Saskatoon to Halifax and also um, up to Churchill, Manitoba. I haven't done through the Rockies. I'm waiting for that Mm. one. That one's going to be gorgeous. That would be so cool. That one's on my list because I want to go to the Jasper uh, Provincial like Dark Sky Reserve. And that's one of the stops that they make. That's so cool. I know. Mm. It's my dream. My dream is to do like from BC to the Rockies, like through the Rockies Mm -hmm. and then end in like, I don't know, Edmonton or wherever. Nice. It's going to be great. Yeah. So get out there, guys. Get out there. Just, Just go on a trip. It doesn't matter what kind of trip. It can be a road trip. It can be a plane trip. Can be what a boat trip, an aquatic bus trip. Thank yes. you very much. <laughs> My mistake. The point is, there's a lot of Canada out there to explore, and we want to uh, take you on this amazing trip. But we also want you guys to take some cool trips. Is there a way for people to tell you about the trips that they are taking, or 
We'll take. There is, Alice. Funny you should mention yeah. that. If you have an, a spot that you've traveled to this summer or that you think that we should be covering, please give us a shout out on social media at Notice History. Well, that concludes our road trip this week to Western Canada. Make sure you tune in next time to see where we're off to next. I wonder where. We're hmm. like Carmen San Diego. Yeah. Where in the world, where in Canada Ooh. is Notice History's road trip? Yeah. Notice History is a No History podcast. We are produced by Emily Cuggy and myself, Robin Mullins. This week's researchers were Anna Kuntz and Sam Clark. And special thanks go out to Alice Glaze for once again being an amazing co-host. Thank oh, you for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is lovely. For more information about the topics we covered today, check out our blog at nohistory.ca slash podcast. If you would like to get in touch with us, email us at podcast at nohistory.ca or on social media at Notice History. If you like what you hear, tell your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.